0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you have gathered us here and given us an opportunity to sing and pray and now hear your word. And we do pray along the lines of what we just sang, will you help us to behold you? Will you open our eyes and cause us to regard this word and this passage and all that it's about and to see in it not just wonderful things, but a wonderful Savior. Help us to see you behind the truths, some of which are complicated today. Help us to see you and to, to sit beneath you, to, to enjoy you, to be thankful for your work, for your gracious gift to us. And, and also, Lord, teach us and, and grow our understanding. And as you bring conviction and as you bring um, greater knowledge, we, will you build your church? It's a request, Lord, we've already prayed along those lines. Will you build your church here and everywhere for your honor and for it? we pray it. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We just finished chapter 12 and the large section that's there about the rising opposition to Jesus. The large crowds are starting to grow a little bit cold towards him. They're still there, and from time to time, still pretty impressed by some of the amazing things he does, but eh. the Pharisees, though, on, on the other hand, are, are resolved. They've made up their mind. They are dead set against him. And then along the side, there is this group of disciples, this, this little family following him and actually listening to him in faith. Lots of different responses to Jesus. And then Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Then his disciples came to him off the side and asked, what's with the parables? What, what, are, you, what are you doing there? What, what was that about? And they came and they asked him, and as Jesus will explain, and we're moving then into chapter 13, this large section that is this third great teaching of Jesus in the, in the book of Matthew. And this one's full of parables. It's all parables. All about the same subject, in fact, all about the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. Now, a parable is sort of an extended figure of speech. That, that word parable can actually fit on lots of different types of speech. And, and if, even in fact, you look at the Old Testament, you can see Proverbs are called parables. They have a little bit of a, of a, of a stretch to them. They're, they're an extended figure of speech, often involving a story, but not always. It can be lots of different sorts of things, but what, whatever form the parable actually takes, a story or not, they all are instructive, but not in a simple, direct way. Parables are saying something in a way that is usually a little obscure, Today, as we read them, we may not notice the the veiled nature of the teaching, because for a lot of us who've been around the church and have heard of these things, a lot of these parables are extremely familiar to us, and we've heard them interpreted and explained many, many times. So, so for us, they are kind of plain as day obvious. But the initial hearers of Jesus, when, when they when they hit them, we even see it twice in chapter 13, the disciples themselves say, what? It's... It, it requires some explanation because it's it's not quite clear what he's saying, or or at least it's not completely straightforward. Completely straightforward. That's how it hit the original listeners, which tells us something important about parables and their purpose. Parables are not illustrations designed to make hard concepts easier to understand. Again, today, we, we understand all the concepts already, and so for us, it's, it sort of seems like, oh, that's a story that's explaining this concept that I know. But that is not what the parable's about. They actually are concealing things, just a little bit. They are obscure on purpose. Because parables actually are a sifting device. A sifting device. For some, the ones who, who hear and who think about it, key point, because they are believing that Jesus is saying something here. I don't, I don't quite get it yet, but he's, he's saying something, and I, I want to know what that is. They hear it, and they think about it, they keep working on it, and they even press towards Jesus and ask him for some help, so for some explanation. For such listeners as that, They learn something important and they grow in understanding, become one group. But for others, at first hearing, they're just odd and confusing. And there, unbelief shows as they get maybe even a little bit frustrated with Jesus. What in the world are you talking about? And why? I mean, a farmer sows seed on a path. Well, why would he do that? That's foolish. He ain't going to grow there. Why would he do that? And there are weeds in every field. Well, gee, you know, thank you, Captain Obvious. And the kingdom of heaven is like a guy searching for a pearl at a market. He can't find it. no. no. No, it isn't. When the kingdom of heaven comes, when God sends his Messiah from heaven to sort things out, he's going to start taking names and kicking butt, and ain't nobody going to miss that. I don't know what you are talking about. This is seeming increasingly like a waste of my time. And you know, I got better places to be, so I'm out. To which Jesus will say, You're out? So this is goodbye then. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. But okay, goodbye. And that might be confusing to some of us, because some of us think, perhaps, that Jesus should be doing absolutely everything he possibly can to convince absolutely anybody that he possibly can that they should choose to follow him. And he obviously isn't doing that, he's being obscure on purpose. That's puzzling to some of us, and it was to the disciples too, confusing them. So they ask verse 10, why are you speaking to them in parables? This is just going to confuse people. Frankly, it confuses me a little bit, but the crowds, Jesus, they're going to get frustrated. And they're going to leave. Why are you doing this? And as Jesus answers, it's going to bring us to two observations, one about the parables in general and one about this parable, the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils, specifically. So, now let me read verses 11 through 23, and then we'll turn to our two observations. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 11. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has... For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, in turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. So two observations. Here's the first, about parables in general. Parables reveal kingdom truth to those given ears to hear, and who then, therefore, hear. Parables reveal kingdom truth to those given ears to hear, and who then, therefore, hear. Before we go too far, I've said parables reveal kingdom truth, but Jesus in verse 11 calls it secrets. Not truth, secrets of the kingdom of heaven. These truths are secrets, or another way you could translate that word is mysteries. These things are, are mysteries at the moment that Jesus is speaking it. This is important because sometimes people today will say that they, they have a, an understanding into the secrets that Jesus is talking about and they'll reveal them to you. That's not, that's not possible because they're secrets at the time Jesus is speaking, but not today. Why are they mysteries or secrets? Because what he's talking about, and we're going to see in the following parables, we'll see some of the secrets that he's talking about, some of these truths he's mentioning. But what he's laying out about the kingdom is not at all what they expected. God's way of bringing in God's kingdom was very mysterious to them. Now, us today, you know know all this. You know the mysterious way that God was bringing in the kingdom. That the King Jesus was not going to do it in some mighty, dramatic, uh, astonishing day of judgment and physical cleansing and physical deliverance and, and physical sorting everything out. But he actually was coming as king in a very quiet and merciful and meek and slow and lowly way, starting with spiritual cleansing. Addressing the human heart, cleansing away sin, restoring us, fixing us spiritually spiritually. And all of that centered on astonishing mystery that the king was going to be crucified. It was At the center of the plan, that, made, that was completely mysterious, unknown. Didn't get that at all. You obviously know all of that now. So I'm saying truths. He's talking about secrets, the truths of the kingdom. We might call it the, the truth of God's word, and we could actually say the truth of not just what Jesus is saying, but the truth of what the Bible is saying truths of the kingdom. That's That in mind now, verse 11. Why the parables? Jesus answers, and probably your English translation does not make something quite as clear as it could. It's in the original language, but they say why, and Jesus says, because. It's actually right in the text. So what we hear here is the answer to why. This is the reason why. Why the parables? Because... To you, my disciples, my family, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. He's going to say more about them, the crowds of people, and about the you, the, the family of the disciples. But first, he starts off with an extremely clear, but maybe for some of us challenging, clear statement about the sovereign choice and sovereign working of God which is the reason for the form of the parables. It's how I accomplish what God is doing in His sovereign choice and in His sovereign purpose. That's why. What he's saying here essentially. This parable form fits with the reality of sovereign choice and sovereign working. This is important. It's the key. So we've got to take it apart here to be sure that we understand this and understand it carefully. Now, just, just so you know, in case this is something you're wondering about, he is going to speak about human responsibility in just a moment. It's coming up. And from our human standpoint, that actually the human responsibility that we have is actually the, the larger takeaway for us from the parable of the soil when we come to talk about that. So... That's coming. But it all starts with the sovereign choice of God. It has been given, he said. Not it will be given after people respond. Has been given and has not been given by God prior to this moment. God gave and God did not give. Notice, God did not take away. Nobody had it to start with. Nobody had this ability to know. Nobody had it, and God decided to give it. He, in mercy, decided to give to some and to leave others as they are. This is a large aspect of the teaching that is known as predestination. To pre Determine, to predestine. The word actually means to mark out the boundaries beforehand. That's what the word means? The word itself shows up several times in places such as Ephesians 1. It doesn't use the word here, but that's what he's talking about. He pre-marked out some to, in mercy, choosing to give to them this ability to know, and he then decided predetermined to leave others as they are. And then he continues on in the verse with a a proverbial statement that's, that's used elsewhere, but it's again emphasizing God's sovereign authority to determine what happens to whom and who gets what. For, he says, for the one who has, the one who has this gift of being able to understand, more will be given to him the blessings of the kingdom, and he will have abundance. Being able to understand leads to having more, and then he will have abundance. But the one who has not, who has not been given this knowledge, even what he has, in this case, an expectation that the kingdom is mine because I've, I've obeyed God, an expectation the kingdom is mine because I'm, I'm of the people of Abraham, ethnically speaking. That expectation then, will be taken away, and he'll come to realize, actually, I'm outside the kingdom, and he'll have nothing. This is God's choice deciding to give. That's mercy. Mercy's never required. Give or to not give, to not have mercy as he pleases. Now, that's extremely clear, but at the same time, perhaps a little confusing for some of us. And it's worth noticing something here. We might be tempted right here, and maybe even some of us are already, and you perhaps expect the preacher to be tempted to kind of wind off into some sort of deep water theology to explain how is all of that, how does all that work, what, what's behind all of that. And there are places we could go in the Bible to do that because the Bible does talk elsewhere about this and gives more detail about it and we can think about it and put some things together. We could do that, but Jesus doesn't, so we're not going to. He doesn't go there. Other places do, but he just says, the reason I'm speaking in parables is because of the sovereign purpose of God in his choosing to give knowledge. Those ones will respond to the parable in a way that reveals that God has given them this gift. They'll respond to, to what I'm saying. They'll, In some way, now I don't know, maybe not today or maybe not next week, but they will respond in some way that'll say like, I heard that and I'm listening and I'm uh, enough intrigued to listen and think about it again and then maybe even to ask. And they'll show the exercise of mind and heart as they must and as they can now because of God's mercy. This parable technique, in other words, reveals kingdom truths in a way that is compatible with, and I use that word, write that word down, compatible with. That's a, theolo- that's a theological word. A word that theologians use to explain the Bible's description of God's sovereign choosing and working, and human beings' responsibility—human beings' responsibility—both are true, compatible with one another. God is sovereign in His choosing, and people are thinking, and listening, and acting creatures. That's what we are. And we are then responsible for how we think and what we think about and how we we work it through in our minds if we do it all. And then what we do in response to it. We are responsible for all that. The Bible says that, and the Bible says that God is sovereign in his choosing, and both are compatible one with the other. And this parable technique suits both perfectly. So that's all right there first couple of verses, and then look how we move from sovereignty towards human responsibility. They're both right here in this passage. Clear statement about sovereign choice, and now, this is why I speak to them in parables, because of their fallen human condition. I act, Jesus could elaborate, he said, I act in in great miraculous divine power, and they see it with their own two eyes, but they don't see it. I mean, why not? They should. I mean, I, I calm a storm, I, I heal, I cast out demons, and they just don't see it. They should, but instead they ask me for more signs to prove what I just showed them. That was the last chapter. I speak the truth day after day after day all over Galilee and now hear in a parable to them, and they hear it, but they don't get it, and they assume I'm the problem. The demand I made is plain as day. The explanations that I've made, plain as day. And the people here in this crowd and all around, they do not perceive it. They, They don't get it. They want me to make something else, to do something else, to say something else. What's going on here is what Isaiah said would happen. They are the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. This people, these crowds all around and all like them, they are fulfilling his prophecy. They will hear and not understand and not perceive. Why? Verse 15, human responsibility. He works all this through and he comes down to verse 15. Why? What's the problem? Human responsibility. How can you look at me and not get that the kingdom is here in me? How can you hear the teaching and acknowledge that it's powerful and interesting and yet, and then you yawn and move on? because for verse 15 this people's heart has grown dull spiritually dull and their eyes and ears are closed up as if dozing off they have closed their eyes and they barely listen with their ears if that wasn't the case they'd They'd listen, they'd they'd turn to me, and they'd come and I'd forgive them, but that's not going to happen. Why not? Two compatible answers in this passage. They're spiritually dull and they don't see it. Human responsibility. And God has not chosen to overcome it for them in mercy. God's sovereign choice. The responsibility, though, falls on the individual. They don't look. They close their eyes, and they are dull. Individual people that God in sovereign choice has not given mercy to. He lays the truth in front of them in parables and says, that's going to draw out who's who. It's going to sift some will hear and will be intrigued and will continue to listen will, with their open eyes, will say, I know I'm responsible for what I listen to and how I process it and what I do with it. I'm responsible for that. God will judge me for that. And so I'm going to say, what? And press in. And others will say, and walk away. This will show. Parables put truth there in a veiled form. And they end up turning off those who were turned off and turning on those who were turned on. That's the crowds. But 16, the disciples are different. Blessed, fortunate, envied are your ears and your eyes because righteous people all throughout the Old Testament just long for what you're, what you're experiencing right now. They long to see this day and they didn't. They died before it came but so fortunate are you. You are seeing and you are hearing and coming to understand the kingdoms of heaven. Blessed are you. Fortunate are you. You've been given this gift. The crowds are in line with Isaiah and the disciples are in line with the prophets. Jesus has already said that before. Sermon on the Mount. Here it is again. That's the parables. That's what's going on in the parables as Jesus explains it. And, And so... What does that mean for us? Well, much of the application of this is actually in the next par, is in the actual explanation of the parable. But there are a few things that we can take away from this, just this, this explanation of parables in general. First, it is hard to overstate the importance of blessed are you for you, Get this. Why? Not because you're clever and insightful. That is the plain statement. Uh, yeah, you have responsibility. You, you, have, you have to listen. But the listening is not why you get it. It's what you have to do. You're responsible for that. But, but when you listen, you hear because God gave you a gift. John Piper years ago, talking about the doctrine of election, said people often push back on the doctrine of election. To argue with the doctrine of election is to argue with being loved. The only reason, the only reason that any person can understand any of this is because God said, I will have mercy on you. I will graciously give to you something that you don't deserve, that I don't have to give. A blessing. It changes your eternity. It is impossible to overstate how eternity-changing that is. It's impossible to overstate it. It changes everything. And for the person who gets that, there should be, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the humility of looking at everyone else around, Literally, there but for the grace of God go I. That is literally true. Thank you. A humility and a gratefulness. The deeper and wider and and more clearly we understand this, the, the deeper and, and more powerfully we should be gripped by humility and gratefulness. And as we look then around at the world that that doesn't respond like this, that doesn't see it. A couple things as we look out then. We're different than Jesus in one regard. We don't know everything. So Jesus can say, I, I know there are, there are two groups of people here, those who have been given and those who have not been, and we have no idea who's in which group We have no idea. And initial responses are zero indication. Everybody would have thought, everybody would have thought that Pharisee Saul's initial several dozen responses to Jesus and Jesus' followers would have indicated that surely he has not been given the gift of understanding any of this. And we all would have been wrong. Initial responses tell us nothing. So we just openly proclaim. We don't try to sort out. We, we can't. It's impossible. We don't try to sort out who's in which group. But wh- how this matters for how we proclaim is we know this all rests in the hands of God and I don't need to cook the books. I don't need to modify this or twist this or change this or, or soften it to acquire a certain, in my mind, good response. I, nope. I can't. None of us can. None of us can change who's in which category. None of us knows who's in which category. None of us can change anybody who's in which category. So what we do is we say, I will openly proclaim the truth of God, the truths of the kingdom, and I will love people indiscriminately. And I will leave all the results to God. I will not try to sort things out. I cannot. I will pray and I will preach and I will leave the results to God knowing that it is all in his hand and I will not be surprised if there is violent even opposition and and clear present rejection. That's part of the game. I get that. That's part of the game. I get that. I don't know what that means for that person even in the long run. Saul certainly had one response and became Paul and something else. But I'm not surprised by anything, nor am I thinking that it is my responsibility to do everything that I possibly can to convince everybody that they possibly could that they should choose to follow Jesus. That's above my pay grade. I proclaim the truth. I love people. You proclaim the truth, and you love people, and you say, it's in the hands of God. We tell people that they are responsible for how they hear and for what they do with what they hear because that's what they'll be judged on. And that's actually where the parable of the sower takes us. So second observation. We must be careful to hear kingdom truth with understanding. We must be careful to hear kingdom truth with understanding. He talked about the sovereignty of God, but he moves away from that now and, and lands the whole parable on the responsibility piece. This is certainly true. We must be careful how we hear. It's given to us as readers with this extended explanation as if we are all the people who pressed in and said, Jesus, will you explain that to me? And he does. Here's what I was meaning. Here's what I was getting at. It's meant for us to think about ourselves. Now, it is certainly helpful, and, and it's not wrong to use it this way. It is certainly helpful to kind of think about other people in some of these categories. That, that can help us understand why a person is responding a certain way. That's helpful, not the main point. The main point is for us to hear this and to think about ourselves in this. How are you hearing Jesus' word today? Which kind of soil are you? Are you like the first soil? A person who hears God's word but does not understand it, spiritually speaking, it makes no sense, it's perhaps nice but unnecessary, maybe it's even threatening. This probably is not most of us here. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking in a church. This probably is not most of us here, but it could be some. It could be some who hear this somewhere else, somehow else. Well, notice this, if that's you. Jesus is saying, the reason that you aren't interested, or at least aren't interested enough to look further into this, is that you have an enemy, Satan who has done something to you, who is working very hard to keep you from looking into this further. I know you're not interested. If, that's, if this is you, I, I get you're not interested. Jesus is telling you in love, telling you the reason you're not interested is that you're being afflicted and not by me. You have someone who is trying to say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain because he doesn't want you to see what's really going on. Consider that. As a friend, he's telling you, this is why you don't care, because Satan does not want you to care. Consider that. But that probably is not most of us. Most of us probably more connected with one of the next three soils. So what about the second one? This is a person who at one time hears the word and says yes to it with great joy really excited and hope-filled because of how good Jesus is and and then really runs with it, is on fire and engaged and, and so eager to serve, and then something happens. Some hard circumstance in life occurs that just seems wrong. If Jesus is the king and if his people are his beloved and if he is wise and knowing and good, how could a God of love allow this to happen? Maybe it's a common tribulation in life. A loved one dies or you get sick. But Jesus says that and also then brings up the fact that persecution because of him is a reality. Maybe that happens. Maybe there's some some discovery that being a follower of Jesus makes life harder. It doesn't just bring the expected blessings. It also brings hardship. And this person, this second soil person, just kind of, Away. Jesus tells us why that is. This rocky ground has bedrock underneath of it. There's dirt on the top and bedrock beneath. And so there's no depth there. There's no, there's no depth of faith. There's no ability to draw up nutrients to sustain to the hard stuff. So the hard stuff kills. It just crushes. Without the spiritual categories to put in here this this suffering, without the resources to walk sorrowing but ever rejoicing, that person just falls away. Unlike the third soil person, who doesn't go anywhere, that soil produces a plant that grows up all mixed together with all sorts of worldly competitions and distractions. And if I was to bet, I would bet that most of us, most people hearing this today would most resonate with or perhaps be most convicted by this one. This picture is a person who heard and responded to the word, but is not fully owned by it. Not fully owned by it. Worldliness, including especially the love of money, which seems so important and so good and so attractive. Money, you cannot serve God in mammon because the reason that that's stated like that is that money is a great alternative to God. So it seems. It can provide you security. It can provide you importance. It can provide you pleasure. It, it can do everything God can do. It's a, it's a great and important necessary thing, and it chokes out the life of the Spirit. It's deceptive. So good soil is, isn't found there. Good this is the soil that produces a worldly Christian, that produces some sort of a person who is kind of like all mixed together and all struggling together. If you look at all three of these soils, in fact, three different kinds of soils, and you think about it, you realize actually they're not three different kinds of soils. They're three different variants of one kind of soil bad soil. All three of them, in different ways, they all three produce the same amount of useful fruit. Which is to say, nothing. They are equally fruitful. They aren't. They're, they're in different ways unfruitful, but they're all equally unfruitful. But then lastly, there is the good soil. Not a good tree this time, that was in the last chapter, this is good soil. The good soil alone bears fruit. In different amounts to be sure, some a little more than is normal, some a little less than would be expected, but all of it is fruitful. And why is that? Verse 23, the important verse for us to to understand about this good soil here tells us this person is the one who hears the word and unlike all the others, understands it. Gets it, perceives it. That's most important for us to think about as we try to apply this to ourselves. The soil obviously that we're supposed to be is the fourth soil. The one that hears with understanding. Here's what Jesus is teaching or we could add in Paul, Peter, the, the Bible. Hearing God's word like this with understanding means to regard it as true, which means to live trusting it and banking on it as true. to not let our hearts grow dull, to not shut our ears and our eyes to God's voice in exchange for listening to the voice of our own selves, our own feelings, or the voice of the world around us. Not hearing and trusting all that, but God's word to hear it in understanding is to hear it, to regard it as true, and to follow it. That is the fight of faith. To hear what God says, to regard it as true, and believing it, to walk after it. That is our human responsibility, to do so. To hear God's word, regard it as true, and conform our lives to it. Whatever it is that he says, to follow. A lot of people say they are that. And the trials and tribulations and persecutions and temptations of worldliness test and prove the truth. Prove actually that they didn't really have ears to hear and they didn't hear. And so there is something that each of us should consider at least for a moment here this morning. You find yourself standing in a place that looks a lot like soil number one, two, or two or three especially, You find yourself standing in there in that spot, turned off, distanced from God because of something that's happened, some circumstance that you're facing, or choked off by worldliness. I have to ask you to ask yourself Am I a Christian? Am I a Christian or not? I know I'm sitting in church and and I'm, I'm acknowledging these certain things, but am I a Christian? Maybe your response to Jesus should make you ask that. For the great majority of us here, though, really, we probably should consider this parable through the lens of how's my hearing right now? Am I hearing with understanding such that faith and fruit results? So understand what I'm doing here. I just asked, are you a Christian? But I'm moving most of us on from there. And I just skirted over what sometimes unfortunately becomes the big debate about this passage. Is he talking about Christians or not? Are soils number two and three Christians or not? Well, the obvious answer is no. Soils number two and three are not Christians. They're not fruitful. A good tree bears good fruit. Good soil bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. Two and three are not Christians. But here's why the whole debate doesn't matter. Because Jesus is speaking in a parable in a very finite, as if right at this moment is the last possible moment. And I and I can analyze people in some static way. And we're thinking about it then we, when we debate this, and, and lots of people do, is it a Christian or not, you're, you're debating as if, We are static people in a final moment. But we're not. We're all living. Every soil two and three at one point thought he was soil number four. And then some way slumped backwards. And Saul obviously was soil number one at once and then became soil number four. So we aren't actually meant to to take this and, and create static Set categories and figure out who's in which category. We're actually supposed to meant, we're actually supposed to hear this and say, "I am supposed to be soil number four. That's where the fruitful life lies, and press towards it, as is our human responsibility." So we should be asking this. I do not want to be about the faulty hearing of number one, two, or three. I want to be about the right hearing of of number four. And I am well aware that as a Christian, so all of us, I am well aware as a Christian it is highly possible that I live beneath myself. Is it possible for a Christian to be tempted to hear God's promises of faithfulness to us, God's promises of his love for us, God's promises of his care for us, his protection of us, his his blessing on us, to hear those promises as if, as if they are the promise of a life of ease and then to hear, to think, you let me down when hard stuff happens. Is it possible to hear the promises like that Christians do it all the time. All the time. I've done that a bunch of times. And if not actually falling away and departing, you've at least taken a half step back. Jesus, where were you? Why? How could you let that happen? I don't get it. Is that you right now? This is how you're supposed to hear this. Is that you right now? Are you hearing with some deficiency. Hearing the promises, if they are all a promise of, of ease, and not hearing the fullness that he means to give us grace to endure through sufferings, that sufferings have a place in the Christian's life to mature us. And if he wills that they happen, and First Peter says that he does, they have a purpose of growing us up and producing in us a faith that is of greater worth than gold. Are you hearing all of that and hearing it rightly and therefore you have a place to put suffering, you have a place to put tribulation and you get it and you say, Lord, this hurts, this is hard, help. Is it possible for a Christian to be tempted to hear spiritual truth, oh, I mean I know it is important. For sure important and I really want to know spiritual truth and I want my kids to know spiritual truth, but all-determining? I don't know. Is it possible to hear it kind of like that? And and then they become tempted to think that there are other things that are really important. You know, politics are really important. There is some really, really important stuff going on in our country right now. Have you heard about this and that and the other? I mean, these things are really critical. Spiritual stuff is important, for sure, I get Yeah, but do you know, have you heard, this is, and our rights are being compromised, and we have to be about this. This is, this is critical. God gave us these things. I know spiritual truths, and the kingdom, is, the kingdom is real, but America, and the wealth that is offered to us and the blessings that are being taken away as these people rob us, is it possible for Christians to be so deceived Happens all the time. And what you find there is I've got, I've got a Christian faith that is being overrun by the views of the world and whatever sound chamber I choose to live in. That happens all the time. Maybe to some of us. We can be easily tempted to hear God's word and then intermix it with all the rest of the world and to not hear the thing that matters is the kingdom and everything else that happens is in his hands. And I have a single ruler and I have a single perspective. I I want to live as a faithful citizen of the kingdom of heaven while a temporary sojourner here in the kingdom of America. A temporary sojourner, a stranger and an alien here in this world. Christians can be tempted to live beneath us, to live like a third soil or to live like a second soil. We have fallen natures and we live in a fallen world and we have a powerful spiritual enemy who is doing everything that he can to cloud the truth for us. So we must hear God's word with understanding that is in faith living as if it is true, as if it is everything, as if it is life, and then following him. This is faithful obedience. It is the fight of faith. And when we fight for this faith, when we fight to keep our ears open and to keep our eyes open and to keep our hearts from growing dull, As is our human responsibility to fight. We fight like that and we say, God help me. What we find is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he draws near to say, Here. And he opens our ears and we see and we hear. He wants us to grow more than we want to grow. We fight and he gives and we grow. We work out our salvation, not work for, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. We, humanly responsible, fight for faith, and God works to give us the help that we need. The Bible's view of life, the Bible's view of the Christian life is a compatibilistic view. We are responsible, and he is powerful and enabling this is the sovereignty of God that grows us up but Christian you cannot let go and coast how's your hearing you're hearing the word of God and understanding it is true and in faith following him this is how we produce the fruit that is so good for us and for the world and so honoring to him Hear the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, would you help? There is is a lot in this that is hard. There's a lot in this that's hard at different levels. hard to understand and maybe hard to take. So help, please. Will you make your word clear to us? Will you make Jesus clear to us? Will you show him to us and cause us to behold him? A sovereign king who calls us to follow and a gracious and merciful king who gives us the help we need to follow. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Open our eyes and open our ears and help us to see him. Will you sort out what's challenging here, Lord? Will you, if there are further conversations that need to be had, will you, will you produce them? Build your church, please. And make us all to hear you and follow you
0: in faith. Thank you. Amen.